This is Coda Radio, episode 376, for some time in the future! Hi, everyone, and welcome to Coder Radio, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show taking a pragmatic look at the art and business of software development and the world of technology. My name is Chris, and I am joined by that warrior from Florida. It is our host, Mr. Dominic. Hello, Mike. Misa back. Oh, I thought maybe you'd forget that. I thought maybe that was, maybe enough time would pass that that habit would... No. Old habits, huh? Old habits. Old habits die hard. It seems to be. That maybe is the theme of the show. Old habits are, are hard to stop. That's true. I couldn't quit you. You know, I just couldn't quit you. It's the same here. Your glorious hair and the studio uh, quality, sound quality of your HomePods. Yeah. <laughs> Let me just say, first of all, uh, the studio quality HomePods, maybe. But the hair, not. I mean, glorious is one one way you could describe it, I suppose. More like overwhelming these days. I still haven't gotten uh, my lockdown haircut cut so it's it's bad yeah i have a home homemade crew cut it's uh it's pretty rough (laughs) oh i want to see that it's not great really quick before we go any further i want to say thank you to a cloud guru for sponsoring this episode of coda radio a cloud guru now includes cloud playground azure aws or gcp sandboxes on acg's credit card not yours just one click to a fast fresh disposable cloud environment at your fingertips Check it out at a cloudguru.com and thanks to them for sponsoring Coda Radio. Well, uh, so how you been? You know, it's been a little while since we caught up. You know, you and I were both just really inspired by the relaunch of the G4 gaming TV network, and we thought if G4 is doing it, Coder can do it. Yes, I definitely know what you're talking about. <laughs> you remember the uh, you remember Tech TV, right? I remember Code Monkeys. They had one good sh- uh, good show. I have it on DVD, actually. So they became G4 and then G4 died, but it's coming back as a streaming network. And it just happened to be coming back on the day we're recording. And I just thought that was that was funny. I've been uh, stalking you on Twitter, though. So I feel like I'm fairly current on uh, what you do share with the world. Of course, I have every tweet you you make uh, pushed to my watch. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not true. That's not true. But uh, like an old habit I pick up uh, years ago from doing Coder Radio, I picked up the uh, checking Mike's Twitter feed before we record habit. Got it. Okay. It works out. It works out pretty good. Anyways, you know, we should probably address the elephant in the room. Uh, neither one of us are wearing pants. <laughs> and also the show's back. <laughs> the show's back, but it has a new intro. It's the world of technology now. And I thought maybe we should explain that a little bit because Mike and I had an opportunity to kind of chat about it and think about it. And we realized what was making the old show a bit challenging was was kind of restricting the topics and then trying to one up that topic each time, trying to make it a little bit better and trying to expand on the idea. And when it's only around development, it became burdensome to the point where it was uh, as much work as a full-time job. And I think we just hit a hard wall there because Mike and I both had travel. We solved that problem. Yeah. So, (laughs) you know, in the meantime, now Wes has a new gig. So I'm going to try to talk him into joining us though from time to time, at least at a minimum. Maybe, you know, maybe maybe more frequently, but he's got a gig now. He's actually back in the uh, software development industry doing that kind of stuff, so. I saw that on social. Yeah, I saw it on Twitch social. Look how old am I? Uh, yeah. 
Yeah. He could be a topic expert now. We could call him in and he could he could be an expert on something. It'd be amazing. But yeah, as I was going through your uh, Twitter feed, uh, I uh, I noticed some screenshots that look an awful lot like JavaScript. And I just all of a sudden felt like we were back in 2017. Like you and me, we're doing the show. You're tweeting about JavaScript and bot frameworks. And it just felt like a huge time machine. What's What's going on right now? What is happening? Part of being locked down is being very bored. And I have been going back to some of my old code and kind of checking out how things work. So the irony is the one you saw today is, in fact, code that was written in 2017. So it's very on point. Wow. Isn't that something? Uh, But yeah, I mean, I'm dying to know about your adventures around the western part of the country. But I'll just start since you started with me. (laughs) So there's going to be a lot of schadenfreude, which is why I will not be reading the comments. Okay. (laughs) I have been doing tons of python oh really yeah the javascript i mean javascript you use with everything but tons and tons of python yeah i i had a big plan a big uh product launch right remember the end before i was going on a road show yes that didn't happen or it happened for like a month yeah yeah yeah. oh boy tell me about it yeah it changed the big lockdown stuff and COVID 19 changed a ton of my travel plans yeah, I, I was very lucky that I uh, compulsively buy trip insurance. Oh. Otherwise, that could have been uh, problematic. So, yeah, I'm doing a lot of uh, a lot of Python Flask development, um, launching a new product called Rabot, which is a automation product written in Ruby and Python. There's actually two versions of it for reasons that we could go into at a later date. And, uh, yeah, just, you know, deving from my little home office because... Yeah, I live in Florida. And if you follow the news, depending on when this comes out, Florida is not where you want to be. So um, that's, I think, probably a lot of content in terms of how both our businesses are being affected. We could talk about it, I think, from a business standpoint. But uh, at like a snapshot level of, has it fundamentally changed what you're doing now? Um, Is the team structure had to change? Like what kind of high level changes have had to happen? Oh, boy. Um. There's so many ways to take this. I mean, the the whole sales and business development process has just been sh- shattered. Um, previous to this, and one of the challenges before we're doing the show was my whole model was I was you remember this? I was flying to New York. I was you know driving to Atlanta, like doing all these demos, and that's just not a thing anymore. I've had to embrace the idea of like virtual sales meetings. I know people can pull it off. It's just not how I operate best. Yep. Yep. You know, you know me, I'm, I'm pretty good at like the event in Denver. I'm not so good over the random awkward Zoom call where there's always the one guy, hey, can you hear me? Can you hear me? Yeah. And it always feels just like a couple of steps up from just an email chain. It's like just not quite enough, but it's it, it is it is kind of becoming the standard, at least for a while. Oh, I think for the rest of the year, possibly more. Yeah. Boy, is is that been a challenge to um, for a lot of shops is is that sales aspect of it. So I have been following your RV adventures, by the way. Lady Jupes on the road hmm. with uh, with Levi, the adorable pooch. <laughs> he really is a good road dog. You know, I'm kind of like living in this little bubble right now, right? Because I have a heart condition. COVID's super bad for me. So I kind of taken a very conservative, like I sit home and drink tea. That's that's my life until COVID is over. Yeah. Um, and write lots and lots of code. Chris, what does the real world look like? Tell me. What's it like? Yeah, it was quite the trip recently. So it was 5,000 miles. Um, and we did a bit of a loop. We went down through Washington and Oregon and then out through uh, Utah 
and New Mexico into uh, Texas. And then from Texas, after about a month and change, we went up through Colorado, Wyoming, Montana, and Idaho, and back into Washington. So kind of did a bit of a loop. What a wild trip it was. So the background on that is um, there were multiple factors that got me on the road, that, that drove me to take a road trip to Texas. It wasn't just like a, hey, let's go have a family vacay. But because the kids were out of school because of COVID, they were coming with if I had to go. <laughs> That's basically what it came down to. And so it became also a family trip. So it was a work trip. It was a family trip. And then in the middle of it, there was a death in the family. And so it kind of became like this big reunion trip for a bit that was tricky with COVID. And then it became this kind of escape from Austin where things got really serious. When we arrived, it was sort of the peak of hype of we've reopened. Everything's OK. And then we watched it get really serious where, um, you know, they started putting fines out for not wearing masks and people were getting very scared and meetings got canceled and all that kind of stuff. That last wing of the trip there was a little touch and go because it was sort of developing as we would get to uh, places like in Texas and then later in Montana in Bozeman, there was sort of some further developments there. So it's in a, in a big way, it's been really nice to be back for a while. I got some really important work done. I got some amazing family time in. I think the kids probably had one of those road trips of a lifetime that you always remember as a kid. So all in all, it was pretty good. Um, but what you would get is just a totally different take on the situation, depending on which state you were in. And then that has so many knock-on effects as to how you can shop, business meetings that can happen or won't happen, if offices are all remote or if people are working at the office. Like there's just so much variation going from state to state. Interesting. Now, are you, you're back in Seattle now, I thought I saw. Yeah, I've been back for a while. Yeah, and it's good. Uh, it's really good to be back because, you know, the, the climate's great this time of year, but also what we're doing at Jupiter Broadcasting right now really requires that I am 100% focused on that work and in the studio. That's the other thing that's been extremely um, nerve-wracking for me in, in a big sense is working on bringing this network back up to a full business again, an independent business that needs to bring in revenue to survive and the market is just in a really weird place right now. And podcasts, while you and I took some time off, podcasts just went through this huge transition. You and I really rode the wave. We started Coder so many years ago that podcasts were something only techies listened to, right? Yeah, it was a 2012? Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think so. It's ridiculous. And then we watched it turn into an industry. And I now think we're watching it contract in a revenue sense, at least. It's You've probably noticed a lot of the larger podcasts that you follow are starting to launch membership programs. I have noticed that. Yeah, and they're having ad difficulties. Those are the same realities that JB is now facing right again as it becomes an independent business. So that's scary. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't sound awesome. But you know, I really launched it as an independent business during the 2008 recession as well. So apparently I just love a good uphill battle. Hey, it's no fun unless you're charging uphill. Not to get like, as you would say, hippie on you, but um, I wouldn't do it if I didn't believe that the audience has our back. Yeah. And I think you're such a focused network, right? 
Well, and you know, just from the time the show took off, like people have never stopped listening. They have continued to ask where it is. And it's one of the reasons it's back is because the audience truly is there and wants it to continue. And it's like, okay, well, we took a breather and I I think we're up for it again. I made the mistake of doing an ask me anything on hay. And I can tell you what the number one question was. (laughs) Oh, really? (laughs) Oh, hey, really? So you tried out hay, didn't you? That email service. I actually subscribed. I actually subscribed. Yeah. So do you like it? Because I'm curious. I got to admit, because you know, you know how much I hate email. Super aware of it. So, hey, so for, hey, for people that don't know, and Mike, totally correct me if I'm wrong, because I know you're more familiar with it. But just a quick recap is it's the folks that also run Basecamp. They've launched an email service that is an app and an email service together, right? Yeah. So it's uh, by the uh, DHH and uh, Jason Freed. I hope I said that right. Uh, DHH is the guy who famously created Rails, Ruby on Rails. And more recently had a public battle with Apple before WWDC about... Oh, we should definitely talk about that. Okay, we can. Yeah, all right. So longtime listeners will know that I have a problem with my Gmail, which I don't know how things are going to be with feedback in the new world. But like the feedback, you remember this, Chris, the form would like forward to my Gmail, right? And what would happen is because I forgot to change the settings on Pop! OS, my screen would try to go to sleep every two seconds. You would do the wake up thing? Because I have had the notifications actually wake my screen up before, which I think is actually a bug. It, it's it's not mine. So I, for some reason, I keep forgetting to change the settings. When I have it docked, so this is complete tangent. So I'm running on a Libra right now, running Pop 24, or I'm sorry, 2004. Right. When I have it docked on a monitor, even if it's plugged into USB-C power, it is hyper aggressive about turning off the screen. <laughs> oh, God. Which does all kinds of terrible things to audio devices, as I learned on my podcast. So, ah. yeah, I have to keep fixing that. Uh, but no, the, the whole so like used to get the contact form to my Gmail. And at some point, my spam filter on Gmail decided that the Coder Radio uh, form was spam. Then I think we moved to, did we move to like Wufu or something? Wafu, something. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, it hated that too. In a way, maybe to an algorithm, it does kind of look like spam. Well, right, because it's just like one email address that's like hitting you with all this stuff. With all kinds of random stuff. And sometimes bots do get in the form. Yeah, so I would like not get email. And I'm at the point where my Gmail is so useless to me. I like books a lot. People listen now. So I sign up for every level. Barnes & Noble is going to give me coupons. All right, let me sign up. They want an email address, you know. Multiply that by 20. You picking coupons is the most adorable thing ever. What? I love coupons. <laughs> What's wrong with coupons? Who wants to pay full price? <laughs> Nobody. I was going to say, there you go. Uh, so, you know, and, and I, I, so I started giving out my work email, but a problem with that is my phone number is in the signature and sometimes I would forget to remove it, which is also bad. So what Hey does is it gives you like, like an email address. Like mine is like michael.dominic at hey.com. Yeah, I don't, I don't mind giving people the hey address. But you can forward your existing email to it and it filters it just like it filters the hey email. So it's actually you have to consent to receiving the message. Okay. So the first time I email you, you have to consent to receiving email from me. So you have to take an action. I have to take an action. And if I say no or that I and I can retroactively undo the consent too. So like if I think it's if it's like, you know, I don't know, make up a fake address for it. If it's like Chris Fisher spelled wrong at like Mercury Broadcasting or something like that, where it's like somebody trying to trick me and it's like spam, I can undo the consent and block those messages. That damn Mercury Broadcasting. 
Yeah. So someone you know almost started one a long time ago before I even heard of you. Oh, really? <laughs> yep. Yeah. I was listening to Linux Outlaws. Oh. <laughs> There's actually a recording of me writing to them. Oh, man. What a find that would be. Back circa 2000, got to be nine, eight. <sighs> when you say that, it makes me feel old. Don't worry. Egon will find it for us. <laughs> I like this. Now, will this hold up? It's a hundred bucks a month, which I'm sorry, not a month, oh. a year, a year. A year. Oh, okay. Okay. All right. Which is not terrible, but I do wonder, as I say yes to more email addresses, am I not just going to inherit the same problem? This reminds me of the mail client on iOS where you can have a certain like VIP type inbox. And I guess along with this, it has to be a pretty damn good app and a damn good service. Is that part true as well? So I like the iOS app and I know it's all a web app. You know, it's yet another Electron app on my desktop, which is like, eh, okay. It's not bad, right? It's So, like, you know, if you're on Mac or if you're on iOS, I think Airmail is kind of a nicer email client. It's native. It's a little snappier. Um, but, hey, it certainly has the advantage. One, it has a Linux client because it's all Electron, so it's everywhere. Well, and uh, I think uh, thanks to some shenanigans between them and Apple, you can now try it out <laughs> for free. <laughs> yeah, so maybe we should just talk about why I gave them 100 bucks because I was just very impressed ah so was that part of it the fact that they stood up to apple and and they really took it public so their sh- so super short recap is they had released the app they had a bug fix coming and apple rejected it saying that um you had to change the app and allow a free trial for them to accept it back into the app store am i recapping that right it's it's one of these weird situations where apple approves your app and says yeah you're in the app store and then decides that they don't like it so that means you've announced, you've you've pushed on the marketing buttons and pulled the levers. And they did a pretty aggressive marketing campaign. I mean, they were on every every blog, every whatever. So Apple rejects it, and this happens to be the week before WWDC. And the the folks at Basecamp, uh, David and Jason, very aggressively, like, you know, there was no way the Hey app was getting in the Wall Street Journal if Apple did not reject them and your name wasn't David Hanemeyer Hansen. Oh, and, and David made a case that this was uh, going after their very survival. He made it very much a life and death type narrative on social media, and I think got a lot of traction with that. Yeah, and very surprisingly, Apple has come out now. No one has tested this theory yet because the system to the date of this recording is not in place. But Apple One let the app in with a minor concession from Hey, which the concession is if you don't have an account, you, they will generate you a rando email address uh, for, I think, 14 days or something wacky like that. I don't know why you would want a random email address. I guess that's a thing you might desire. To try it, I suppose. I, I'm sure there's some way spammers are going to like botnet a bunch of iPhones and just create a bunch of hey email addresses, but whatever. If you are just coming to the show, listen to the back catalog. I was not a fan of Apple's 30% cut. They are now allowing you to challenge not just the rejection of your app, but the underlying policy. You think it'll be successful since they're judge and jury? What, are, are you suggesting that appealing to the same person who is persecuting you might be a problem? I mean, it, so far, it seems like history would suggest yes. Well, I, I think it shows that they're they're acknowledging that maybe they have like a lot of power. And in the case of Many businesses, especially like app development businesses, they could put you out of business. I, I kind of don't think that's the biggest concession, though. I think the fact that they're saying 
unless there is a legal compliance issue, they will no longer reject updates to apps they've already approved. I think, yes, exactly. The wording around the bug fix stuff, I think, is really, truly what matters to developers because the worst case scenario is you have a crash situation or something data loss related or in that range and Apple won't let you get the fix out to your end users. That's that's a no-go right there. And so the fact that they've now added flexibility there is crucial, but it does feel like they're starving for more and they've gotten a few scraps here, ultimately. Well, this is all happening on the backdrop of, you know, the EU is looking at them um, yes. allegedly today, although I right before the show I saw on the news highlights that the uh, tech CEOs were supposed to appear before Congress, but that has been postponed. Or might be postponed, which is interesting. Uh, Spotify is still suing Apple in any court that they can find. There's, you know, this is like an ongoing story. I have a feeling this story is going to be ongoing to through twenty one, through twenty two, through twenty three. Yeah. Having said that, I don't currently have any independent iOS apps out, and I am not developing any. So, you know, you can kind of take a more detached view. The look, kind of the. Uh, the no skin in the game mentality that I generally have when looking at this situation, which is uh, convenient for me and now you, I suppose. Well, that's not true. What about innovation on the HomePod? (laughs) I can't believe it. You're absolutely right. How could I forget about that? So I noticed that your wife has a new book or maybe her first book. Is this her first book? First book. First book. Yeah. Wow. Tell her I pass along my congratulations, uh, Oil and Water, which I'll put a link to in the show notes. So I got to ask the obvious important question. uh, What was that process like for you? So it was interesting. As I was uh, succumbing to the uh, vagaries of being locked down in COVID, my wife spent the first six weeks writing a novel and setting up all the uh, processes you need to self-publish. Yeah, I mean, it was it was very interesting. I did not know there was like this huge fiction writing community on Twitter that frankly is beating the crap out of us tech folks in terms of like marketing themselves. Yeah. Yeah. She uh, she has almost 2000 more followers than me. And she started from 10. (laughs) You know, the thing is, is that Twitter has grown beyond the tech community. It's for the normals now. It's for the normals. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's an interesting niche. That's an interesting perspective because that's how you get there. My wife released a book as well. Oh, nice. A little bit longer ago. I'm not sure what the word is I'm looking for there. Totally different genre. Hers is uh, about dealing with teen diabetes and resources for parents that have teens that have diabetes because she was one. And so totally different area, but kind of a similar thing. She's doing the self-publishing thing. Um, and she works also with some clients now in that capacity doing consulting for them. And so it's been a really interesting development to watch somebody figure out who's not necessarily very technically inclined to figure out how to do the self-publishing thing. And then of course, writing it, (laughs) which was for me was an interesting process to watch her go through, but painless for me, obviously. Yeah, really painless, but interesting, like the formatting stuff. I did not realize that like how, like Coders might fight about VS Code or Vim or Emacs or whatever. The same conversation happens around Kindle formatting. <laughs> yeah. And honestly, like the thought that goes into the cover obviously oh, yeah. is just beyond what you'd appreciate until you do it uh, and just remotely watching her get get that figured out. That's quite the thing. I really, you know, I, I don't think I have it in me. No, I don't either. But congratulations to Mrs. Fisher. Thank you. Yes. And my congratulations to uh, yours as well. Also, 
just while I was stalking you. I, I don't really understand because I thought the 4th of July has passed, but you are pre celebrating the 4th of July with a contest right now. Is that is that what I'm to understand? It's like my Earth Day contest. So the deal is if you are a U.S. high school or college student, you can write any FOSS, meaning free or open source, um, software package, uh, and doing anything related to increasing voter turnout, helping people find places, polling places, things like that. Anything basically that helps people vote, right? It could be for anybody, old people, young people, whatever. And we do the same process we do for Earth Day. We have a little committee here at TMB, pick a winner, and they get a brand new uh, System 76 Thalio. No. Yep. So the contest runs until the end of August, and the winner will be picked in the second week of September, I think. That's awesome. I'll put a link to that in the notes as well. You know, obviously, the thing here I got to do is I got to get each one of my kids, three kids. You got to game the system. Yeah, that's clearly what that seems like the easiest way for me to get a Thaleo yet. (laughs) (laughs) Now, let's talk about some hardware. But hey, Mike, first, I have to tell you about the return of a legend, the System 76 Bonobo. And now's a great time to get one because the System 76 launch into learning sale continues through September 30th. And that's all laptops, minis, desktops are on sale, including the Bonobo which is a high-performance truck of laptops, up to a 10-core 10th-gen Intel desktop CPU, GeForce RTX graphics, up to 128 gigabytes of RAM and 24 terabytes, 24 terabytes of MVME storage. And I can tell you from experience that this is a workhorse machine. I used to run multiple VMs from multiple disks all day long like a boss. I even once performed an emergency recovery where my Bonobo ran my client's virtual infrastructure for the day while we got new hardware. And I loved that Bonobo so much that when the time came, I bought another Bonobo. I've owned two Bonobos, and I've been a System76 customer for over a decade. Sometimes you just need the best tool for the job, and you need it to be fast. So go to System76.com and take a look at all of the machines built to run Linux like a first-class OS. I'm talking production grade here. And just remember, until September 30th, you can take advantage of the launch into learning, which continues until the end of this month. System76.com. Tell them Coda Radio sent you when you check out. And thanks to System76 for sponsoring this episode of Coda Radio. Oh, you know, I love talking about hardware. So you got yourself, what'd you say, a lemur? Yeah, I'm on the lemur. Yep. How recent is this? Uh, I got it right when it came out. What was that? Handful of months ago. Yeah, it was right. Was it right before COVID or right, right at COVID? I feel like it was right around when COVID got. It's everything's pre, during, or semi during. I guess now. Yeah, I think it's when when the lockdown started. I'm curious because I I'm gonna guess the scenario went like this, but you tell me if I'm wrong. Uh, you got like maybe the MacBook Pro 16 or the new smaller MacBook. I can't remember what it is. It was the Pro. Okay, so I'm I'm right so far. Yep. And tried it out and were frustrated with something about it or it didn't quite work or a client change happened and then you sent it back and you ordered a lemur instead. Did I get it? Did I get it? Did I get it? So two of those things are true. Okay, all right. I was supposed to be doing a very large iPad project. Like very large. Oh, interesting. Hence the MacBook. I of course bought the MacBook. The client delayed, the client delayed. Well, the client never became a client. The client never materialized because COVID. So I was also thinking, well, 
so I made a bad assumption that I would be super bored during lockdown and have like no work. That turned out not to be true. But I was thinking, what would I rather be doing if I'm going to be like blogging and podcasting? So I have, you know, the M. Dominic show. One, I, I don't like the direction Mac OS has taken. You can listen to the back catalog. I, Catalina is buggy, like super buggy. Still. Um, if you saw WWC, Big Sur is made some design choices that are, I, I think Cassidy James of Elementary OS said it best. These are, I think he called it disturbing or that <laughs> they're bad. <laughs> I mean, they're clearly for some touch arm Mac in the near future. Right. And like, that's just not what I'm doing. And now a hundred percent of my workloads minus like a few legacy I, I, iOS apps that I support are the Debian based, usually Ubuntu deployment systems. So it was all the same arguments, you know, whenever last time we talked for about this uh, Linux versus Mac topic. It's 2017 again. It's 2017 again. And honestly, not to put on the, uh, you know, the heartless Bain Capital capitalist card here, but I literally just looked at my books and said, 2019 was kind of a, a little more challenging of a year than it should have been. Kept chasing these iOS things, kept chasing these Apple things. But it ended up being okay because I had a bunch of work that were basically Linux, either IoT development or effectively web automation development. So instead of chasing the very expensive, both expensive to maintain the hardware and to have people do the work, right? Because I hire everybody on W2s and their actual employees, kind of iOS work. You know, once you streamline down and focus down, it turns out, and I, I did this over like the whole last year. If you stream down down and focus on a few things, it, you actually become better at it. And like as an organization, much more efficient. Right. So it just turned out from the books like that thing is um, I'm going to I broadly call it Linux development. It's a little unfair because it's basically Python and uh, still, again, got a bunch of Ruby systems out there. But it's ton, the newer stuff is tons of Python. And the reason for that is pretty clear. What I was finding is all these little like system on a chip or more like like Arduino Raspberry Pi systems. There's great Python SDKs for them. And it turns out that Flask is a great framework for, you know, setting up a simple web server to like send data back and forth. Yeah. And a very well supported language on Linux. So it's a, you know, it's a, it's a real safe bet in that sense. That's fascinating. I know exactly what you mean. You know, I had a similar transition many years ago in JB where almost everything was video, even this show. And when we focused on audio and everything went audio, it meant one production pipeline. Instead of what was essentially becoming a bit of a custom production pipeline for each podcast because of legacy support reasons. And we collapsed everything down to a unified production pipeline with a standard set of software at each end in the, in the production pipeline, all based on Linux. And I, it just brought in not only so much more efficiency, but I think the other thing that you touched on, which is really true, is we were able to really expand our expertise because now this was the area we played in full time. Right. Well, that's the other big thing. So another issue is some of the Unixy dependencies have gotten weird on macOS, particularly like Homebrew gets. Yep. If you upgrade macOS, Homebrew does not like it Yeah. in many cases. And then all your Rails dependencies break. So like, if, it's funny you should ask. Just this week, and I tweeted it out, one of my last two guys who were on Mac is I literally ordered him a lemur. And he should be getting it next week. So I'm down to one Mac OS person. And this isn't to like, you know, degrade Mac or like people who like Mac. I'm just, you know, this direction TMD is going in. Yeah. And so um, you went with Pop and you've been on it for a few months now. 
and I'm sussing out some Visual Studio code by your screenshots, and I'm thinking you've kind of locked in on kind of a workflow that's probably pretty productive. Well, and we've standardized, so everybody has the same workflow. Ah, ha, 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 right. Every developer has a all-package license for JetBrains, which is like RubyMind and PyCharm mostly, and some app code because, you know, like C++ and Rust. VS Code, which is what I use for all those screenshots you were seeing because it just looks nicer, I think. Oh, oh the big thing, too, is we, we, I got to cancel an entire CI pipeline service that I was paying for that did uh, Swift uh, continuous integration, which was one of those things that I had to pay for monthly, but maybe used once or twice a year. Hmm. Well, that's really kind of cool. And um, was it hard? Did it mean did it mean having to make some hard decisions like firings? No. Nope. Oh. Yeah, so so this is the problem. The person doing all the iOS development was just me. Ah. <laughs> so there you are sitting with your uh, fancy MacBook Pro 16 thinking to yourself, what am I doing? I just need to admit it to myself. It's also, you know, I'm doing a lot of sales and doing a lot of the other stuff. It's like, okay, doing systems architecture, sales, and like this random iPad project. And I still do do like small iPad projects for existing customers, but I don't know why this was the case, but chasing iOS deals was just a lot harder. And I think it's because people are looking for more of a design focus when, I mean, our fancy, crazy logos aside, we are not like a graphics design job at all. You reel them in with those logos. Reel, reel them in with those <laughs> logos and then say, so can I interest you in some Gen 2? There it is. <laughs> yeah, I get you. It kind of seems like you could land here and and just sort of set up camp and exist for a very long time in this expertise. But what about the the fact that things always inevitably change? Like this is what something I'm struggling with now is what used to be unacceptable on video was having uh, a podcast where the hosts, you know, kind of overweight hosts sat there with a big microphone in front of their face and big studio headphones and a mixer and a camera on them. And they put up an hour and a half video. And the number one comment would be, why are those microphones in front of your face? Why is this a video? Right. And that's, that's the era in which I started doing video. And now some of the most successful podcasts in the world and videos have the hosts sitting in front of big microphones with big studio headphones on. What's up, Joe Rogan? Yeah. And so many more, right? So many more. And so now I think, well, is there an opportunity for Jupiter Broadcasting to do video again, you know, as maybe as a way for growth. But also, I think it's a good discovery mechanism in our industry. I think it's a good way for people to find our content and then maybe gravitate towards the audio in the long term. It would mean come on an entirely new production pipeline, mm. potentially a very complicated one. And so I'm kind of inherently resistant to the idea, but I don't want to also let an opportunity pass by. It's funny you should mention that one of the people who was uh, emailing me, or I think they actually tweeted this at me regarding Coder, was telling me that we should consider a Twitch stream for like the Linux shows of how to set up Linux, like a like a beginning Linux thing, but also like for Coder. Like, so if one, I thought Twitch was for video games, so this is where old man Mike fails. <laughs> uh, but apparently, this is a thing. Like, people are coding and like setting up like BSD and Linux boxes on Twitch. Oh yeah. It's becoming a genre. Oh, so you know about this. 
Yeah, I've even consulted with an open source developer who has a pretty well-known project and wanted to kind of grow his Twitch stream because I'm doing some consulting stuff now. And um, he got in touch with me because he follows the shows. And I kind of worked with him on ways to kind of grow a community. And so he he's developing a well-known application. It's a communications application. And he's doing it with music going. And he's got his himself de- he's got himself down in the corner because he's in front of a green screen so he can make himself transparent. And then he's got his like VS Code window or his terminal window up as sort of the predominant portion of the stream. And it's, this is a more and more common thing. And so it's quite the development, and I find it fascinating. So how does that work? You have like an external camera and, and screen capture? Yeah, you could do something pretty easily in OBS. You could get, although not right now, but normally you can just buy like a decent Logitech camera even and get a pretty simple green screen behind yourself. And then OBS is really solid on Linux. Right. Well, so it's interesting you say not right now. Have you been watching much like regular TV, like Colbert, stuff like that? I do catch some of it just out of a real kind of production curiosities. That's what I was going to say. I've noticed like the old Linux action show and the Stephen Colbert show now have the same production quality. Isn't that something? It's like they're all playing podcast. Yeah, they're all being podcasters, right? But why haven't they gotten it better? You know, that's what I am struggling with is... The budget and resources they have by now, they could have thrown a pretty solid kit together and shipped it off to Colbert. You know, <laughs> it's like pretty doable. Yeah, I feel like if you're if, if you're CBS, you just like have enough money to do that. Yeah. And I've seen some of their productions, like their 60 Minutes interviews. They're, they are doing them remotely, but they send a professional lighting setup. They must send somebody there who rigs it all up because they've got two camera angles. They've got the bokeh effect with the high resolution camera. And they are conducting the interview over some remote video session, but all of the video and audio is captured locally. And then they're mixing that together for the final CBS 60 Minutes release. So, like, they have the means. <laughs> they have the technology. They can rebuild it. Maybe the budgets really are that tight, but it has been really something to watch. And so it has made me, and sitting in front of me right now, I have two test cameras. Uh, well, and then there's a third one because there's also a Skycam. And I've just been thinking, like, maybe I should start doing this again. And maybe it would just be a stream thing. Maybe that's that's a much simpler production pipeline. You know, the thing about what I'm doing now is this is a minimum viable network at this point. It's got an employee. <laughs> I think I know him. Yeah, and so it's it it is in so many ways like it's going back in a, a in a in a big way back in time. However, this time. I have a network of friends who will work with me and can do contract stuff. And so I'm in a better position that way. And I'm in a better position now knowing myself, knowing what I'm good at and knowing when I'm pushing it too far. Sure. So I've got some of that stuff figured out a little bit better. Not probably as good as I should, but. So does it, does it feel like a reboot of the whole network to you or how does it like, how are you, I guess, how are you thinking about it? Is this like. In my brain, it's like a 3.0. 1.0 was the first crack at JB being indie. And that was me learning how to run a business, learning how to build a team, right? That was JB 1.0. Mm-hmm. 2.0 was in 2018 when we sold to Linux Academy. Yep. And that was that was a remarkable opportunity to go inside a rapidly growing startup that's VC funded and aiming for the really aiming for the sky. Like that was incredible and on top of that it was this super intense boot camp in 
modern business because my experience has been, you know, dated by, by at that point. It had been it had been nearly 10 years since I'd been in the business industry in any kind of form. I really kind of was entrenched very early on because I walked right from high school into a full-time job at a bank doing IT. And so I did get a very kind of early indoctrination to business and process. However, I really got all of that updated and modernized for a company that's predominantly remote, that is has very high velocity, uh, with modern communication tools. And on top of that, we were really well-funded. So I was able to build a really great team and... We took the JB network to heights we didn't know were possible. And in that, I also had healthcare, which was great because just like a couple of weeks after the deal was final, I ended up in the hospital with a serious, massive, what I, I was working so hard to close the deal. So I had an appendix rupture and then I pushed myself for two weeks to the point where the appendix rupture had released enough crap that it was eating away at my hip muscles and detaching my stomach from the hips and all that kind of stuff. And I lost mobility in a leg and I couldn't wake, I couldn't get out of bed anymore. And I, I actually still wasn't planning to go into the hospital. I was still planning to sleep it off. I would have died in my bed, but my wife happened to be flying down for a quote unquote romantic weekend. And she had to Uber herself uh, to the hotel because I was passed out. And she came in and found me like that. And I tried to t I tried to tell her I'd just sleep it off and that Tuesday I was going to announce it and it was going to be a public deal and everything was going to be final. And I just had to make it till Tuesday. And this was like Friday. Right. And uh, so she had me taken into the hospital and then they wouldn't they wouldn't let me go. Obviously, they took me into surgery almost immediately. Yeah, I remember, I remember that you were gone for a while. Yeah. And I just had barely gotten health insurance. Uh, it was it was remarkable. So it was it was both life saving in that sense, but also just such a great opportunity to work with the team. It was just God, it was great. You know, and we had a sprint together and we, we got so much great stuff done. And I learned so much from that. So I feel like that was JB 2.0 and it was a really solid JB. Now, JB 3.0 is launching and this is taking all of those lessons learned Plus everything I know about creative process, everything I know about making good content, the business stuff, those lessons, and a new network of friends, a lot of which who are just the people I've worked with forever. But, you know, just taking that, it's, it's a different kind of relationship, but the relationship is still there. And bringing that all together and launching JB 3.0 as a minimum viable podcast network in an era where podcasts are really going through some crap and from that. I want to build it up again into something where the best shows survive. We create some new stuff, shows like this that are good, that people love. You know, we bring those back and we, we just kind of get the feedback cycle going from the community, get an idea of what gets traction. Maybe it's some totally new ideas. And I just create a sustainable lifestyle business that supports me and my friends again. And that's JB 3.0. And I think in part the it'll be possible because at this point, I've been doing this for 15 years. I have a pretty solid track record here now. And I think the audience knows it's a solid investment. And they also know that it's going to be its absolute best and genuine when it's independent. And I think all, I, I hope that we're kind of well positioned to just whatever comes next in the podcast industry with the support of our audience, we're going to roll with it. And that's 3.0. That's how I see it. If you were, you know, if you're going to ask. 
I did ask. So there you go. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. All right. Let's get a couple other bits of housekeeping. Uh, you mentioned it a couple of times, but you have a podcast that is getting, I think at this point, to be a must listen. Oh, I appreciate that. The Mike Dominic show. It's at, uh, it's at M Dominic show on Twitter because I did not know there was a character limit. Okay. I didn't either, actually. All right. And what about yourself? What about you? Are you on Twitter by any chance? I don't know. I've- yep. At Dumanuko. You can follow me. I'm in a uh, garish shade of purple. So, see huh. fine. You know, I didn't know that. I'll have to check that out. I don't have a Twitter account. Oh, yeah. It's not like you stalked me before every recording. <laughs> All right. I'm at Chris LAS. You can find the whole network at uh, jupiterbroadcasting.com slash telegram. If you use that there, telegram. I'm at Chris Lass on there, too. Although, really... You can get a hold of me in the group thread. You don't have to PM me unless it's something awesome. Then I welcome your PMs. Yes, I put that decision in your hands. That's how much I have trust right there. Isn't that something that's powerful? It's a lot of power. It's their power, though. I trust them. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning in this week's episode. Links are at coder.show slash 376. And we'll see you back here very soon. I think probably very soon. <laughs>